Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, go with me in your Bible to Romans chapter 8, where we've looked uh, the last three Wednesday nights, Romans chapter 8. And verse number 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Uh, Hold your place here and go over to 1 John chapter 5. And we read the same thing in 1 John chapter 5, verse number 10 says, he who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son, talking about the testimony of the Scriptures. But he who believes in the Son of God has the witness. Where is the witness? Inside of himself. Isn't that right? Well, that's exactly what Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says, that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. And of course, that would be within us. And it says that he bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, that is the first witness that one receives from the Holy Spirit when he is born again. He immediately, when he believes on the Lord Jesus Christ and is born again, he immediately gets the witness in his spirit that he is a child of God. Like I said, when I was uh, younger, growing up, the old timers used to talk about having a no-so salvation. I've got a no-so salvation, they said. And what they simply meant was that you, when you're genuinely born again, you don't have to ask somebody's opinion. Do you think I'm saved? Do you think I'm right with God? Because when you've made Jesus the Lord of your life and he, and he comes in, recreates your spirit, his, his Holy Spirit moves up, uh, uh, into, into the inside of your inner man, your spirit takes up resonance there, you know something. Something's happened on the inside. You have an instant knowing, a witness that something has changed, glory to God, and you've become a new creature in Christ. Well, it stands to reason then that this witness on the inside is how he's going to, to, to communicate with you and confirm everything you need to know in your life. Isn't that right? Uh, and so we've been talking about being led by the Spirit and how to be led of the Lord. And, uh, uh, you know, I always say it this way, when people, uh, you know, begin to discuss or they have questions about where the leading of the Lord comes from and where, you know, how to, how to recognize it, what does it sound like, what does it feel like, you know, where, where does it come from? I always say, well, where is he? Where is the Holy Spirit? He's on the inside. Well, it just stands to reason that's where you'd expect him to lead you is from the inside. But the reason I, I bring this up and the reason I, I, uh, I spend a lot of time on this and go over and over and over again is because it is so deeply ingrained in people. It is so, it is so deeply, substantially, uh, widespread. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a very common religious, uh, Christian religious belief that God leads 
by uh, other means, almost every other means than the way he actually leads. And so people are taught to, to believe in divine providence. That's what you will hear sometimes if you read books on the subject, that God will, will lead us by divine providence, which means that, that he provides certain things to unfold in our lives, to happen in our lives, and that nothing that goes on in life is without a divine cause, that God is, is uh, uh, orchestrating and and, and arranging and moving everything that happens in this world and that everything that happens to you, everything that confronts you, every person that speaks to you, every place you go, every encounter you have, everything has been ordained and ordered of God and so you can expect God to, to give direction to you by the way he brings uh, these summary things into your lives that you should expect him to speak that way and that is widely taught uh, throughout the body of Christ it, it's not only taught it's something that is is passed down by tradition and people pick it up because there's this idea God has everything under control and, and it's one of those things when you say that you sometimes you see it on a bumper sticker God has everything under control well you have to you have to uh, uh, evaluate what they're actually saying. Is it true that God has everything under control? Well, in one sense, it's painfully obvious that he doesn't have everything under control. He didn't cause that bank robbery that took place that, that you heard about or that accident that took place or this happened or that happened. You know, God's not orchestrating all of these things. Well, when you start thinking along the lines that, now, wait a minute, God's not running everything Therefore, everything that, that happens, he's not orchestrating. Well, then uh, how can we expect everything that comes up in our lives to be something that he has brought to us? Um, it, it's, it's just not true. It's, 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 uh, for, for people to believe that their circumstances are things that happen to them, uh, things that... that uh, occur in their lives that God is speaking through those things if you if you think about it for a minute they would have to then for that to be true that think about all the other things that that God would have to be doing in order to make those things come to pass now uh, uh, this is this is dangerous territory but just because you met your sweetheart and you fell in love and you got married and your, and your life has been a wedded bliss doesn't mean that before the foundation of, of the world, God chose you and he or she. And think about all of the things in history that God would have. And I'm not saying God's not able. God, God, God's uh, all powerful. He could do everything. But one little variation one little decision that someone else made, some ancestor down the road, can just throw everything out of whack. And so God has to be controlling everybody's decisions, where they lived, what they did, how to bring us to the place where you even, where your life even, even cross, where you even cross path with your future spouse. Isn't that right? 
So I hate to bust everybody's bubble in the sense that, you know, that God, you know, my, my, I don't believe that God ordained before, you know, the earth that my wife and I be married. We certainly didn't uh, uh, pursue a, a right course in our relationship. The circumstances of our marriage was certainly not ordained of God or authorized by God. But God takes people from where, in, where they are and he works in their lives to the extent that they submit themselves to him and seek his plan for their lives. And God can make something out of nothing. Can you say amen, sister? Amen. <laughs> amen. He can make something out of nothing if we will yield ourselves and, and pursue his plan. He, but he doesn't just do it without leading us step by step into further actions that will correspond to his plan for our life. Are you, are you following me? Uh, like I said, it is so prevalent, it is so common today to hear people talk in terms of, uh, well, you know, uh, this happened and that happened and, and so I believe God is leading me. We, we still, right here at this church, we still hear, I'm talking about, I'm talking about in the last 10 days, we still hear people referring to well, God opened a door. And so, you know, I, I know he's leading a certain direction because, you know, he opened this door or he closed this door. And what they mean by that is simply that there was some uh, occurrence, something that took place, something that happened in their life that was favorable to a certain uh, course of action or else something happened that was unfavorable to a certain course of action, maybe that they were considering. And when something happened that was unfavorable to this course of action, then they took that to mean that God was closing the door, uh, moving in such a way that it wouldn't be easy uh, or, or, or even possible to go the, a certain route. That must, be mean, that must mean God is leading me another way. But like I said... It, for God to do that, it's, a, it's an abdication, really, of the fact that he lives on the inside. But he's directing us by 360 uh, degrees, things coming from every direction. When he's living on the inside, and, and the scripture is clear that, that the Holy Spirit is a person, he thinks, he speaks, he declares, he tells, he communicates, he witnesses. Well, what in the world is he doing in there? I mean, why would we even need the Holy Spirit to live within us if we, to guide us if we, if we could just look at, at everything that was happening in life and figure out what the will of the, of the Lord from what's going on around us? Well, this idea of open doors and closed doors, the reason I'm bringing it up, because again, we, we just heard it recently. Somebody from our own congregation uh, that you know just hasn't been taught, hasn't been here that long. But I tell you what, sometimes we hear things from people that have been here for decades, long time, and, and, and we hear things and, and we think, now, did they not hear? Were they not listening? Uh, you know, just not paying attention? Or I know this is true. Sometimes when you think, and I know this is true in my life, so there are times when I think I've got 
all the tradition just completely washed out, sifted out, you know, it's all gone. I'll up and do something, say something, or think it a certain way, and the Holy Ghost will say, now, why did you say that? And then I'll think, you know what? That's just what I've heard people say. That's just what I've always thought, and I realize there's no scriptural basis for that at all. It's a tradition. And so we have to be reminded of these things because um, uh, these things are all around us and, and, and uh, these things are uh, communicated to us and, and reinforced in our lives. And so, uh, you know, I go over this. This idea of, of an open door and a closed door. The reason I talk about that, I, I remind you of the lady that, that used to cut my hair. You've heard me talk about her. This is not the lady that cuts my hair now in High Springs, the lady that used to cut my hair years ago in, in, uh, in Gainesville. And she, uh, she was a preacher's kid. And, uh, and I was a pastor, so she always wanted to talk to me about church stuff. And she talked, 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 you know. And, and she was always talking to me about things going on. I just sat there and listened to her. You know, I just want out of this chair. Leah knows who I'm talking about. She used to cut Leah's hair too. And um, I said, I just want to, I thought to myself, I just want out of this chair. And so the less I engage her, the better for me. And, uh, but she was always talking about her daughters, you know, and their plans for their lives. You know, they were growing up and they were going to college and, you know, in, in relationships with boys and different things, you know. And, and she was always telling me how, you know, for instance, they had applied for a certain college and applied for several schools, you know, and, and then the one they really hoped to be, to be accepted by, they got rejected, and, and she would say to her daughters, now, see there, the Lord just closed that door. That just means that's not his will for you. They, the Lord closed that door. Well, the reason uh, this comes up is because it's, the, it's a misuse of a biblical uh, expression. The, the Bible talks about open and closed doors, but it doesn't talk about it in that light. Let's go, first of all, to Colossians chapter Four, and uh, let's look at it, and we're going to go through and, and see what is meant in the Bible when it talks about uh, open and closed doors. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, meanwhile praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. Notice he asked the church at Colossae that they would pray for him and this is what he asked them to pray that God would open to him and his ministry team a door for the word, to, to open a door to speak the mystery of Christ. In other words, to open uh, an opportunity to minister and speak the word of God for which I am also in chains. Now, the, the epistles of Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, and um, Philemon are called the, the prison epistles because these epistles were written during time, Paul's time in prison uh, as we see him at the close of the book of Acts. You remember in the book of Acts, the 27th chapter, how he's on, you know, making his way to, uh, uh, to Rome. He's been arrested by the Jews and, and, and uh, he appealed to Caesar. And so he's on his way to Rome. He uh, has a little layover on the island of, of Malta, you know, the story of the snake bite and all of that. He finally makes it to Rome. The Bible uh, says the book of Acts closes out uh, with Paul in prison and it says that he was there two years. This was around uh, 
62 to 65, something like that, so AD, uh, somewhere around that time. And uh, after his time in prison, now during that time, he wrote the, the epistles of, like I said, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. So it was a very active time. He really wasn't much of a prisoner. He was under house arrest. But he, was, he really wasn't charged with any kind of crime against Rome. It was just this thing about the Jews' law. And the only reason it was, he was there was he had appealed to, to Caesar. And uh, so he was free to minister. People come and, and came and went. Like I said, he was a very pro- prolific time for, for writing these epistles. Some of the, uh, uh, you know, just uh, crowning uh, works that he ever accomplished, you know, he accomplished during that time. After that time, Paul was released. He returned to Greece and to Asia, a minor, he visited the churches again. During uh, the next two or three years, he wrote the epistles of uh, 1 Timothy and Titus. Uh, he was rearrested along about uh, 67 AD, 67, 69, somewhere in there. He was rearrested. Uh, this time he was charged, for, uh, 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 charged uh, with sedition against the Roman Empire. And he was taken to to Rome as a political prisoner. He was there maybe a year or two. He was uh, beheaded in Rome by uh, Caesar. Uh, uh, During his time in Rome, during his second imprisonment, he wrote the epistle of 2 Timothy. And you can read in there where he's talking about the time of my departure is at hand. I'm ready to be offered up and and I fought a good fight and so forth. Uh, So it's a little bit of history of of Paul. But here, you know, he's in prison and he's talking. He says, I I want you to pray that the Lord will open a door for the word, uh, an opportunity. What that simply means is I'm praying for God to make an opportunity for me to preach the word. In that sense, God does open doors. In that sense, God does make opportunities for us to do things, but there's no sense in this that he used this as a method of determining the will of God because it's, it was always the will of God for him to speak the word. Do you see that? He's not saying, Lord, open uh, 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 a door for me to speak the word. Then I'll know that I'm supposed to speak it. He's going to speak it. He's just looking for an opportunity. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 16. 1 Corinthians 16. You'll see this again. 1 Corinthians 16. Uh, Let's look at... uh, Go to, hold your place there, go to 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 2 and look at verse 12. 2 Corinthians 2, 12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother But taking my leave from them, I departed from Macedonia. Notice here he talks about a door being opened by the Lord. So the Lord does open doors. But every time, you don't find this expression at all in the Old Testament. It's strictly a New Testament expression. Every time you find it in the Bible, in the New Testament, it's talking about an opportunity to minister the word of God. Every single time, it's not talking, the opening doors 
doesn't exist in the New Testament except in the sense of, of God granting a divine opportunity, which thank God he does. Now go back to the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> Let's start in verse number five. Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great... An effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. And if Timothy comes, see that, that uh, he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as, also, as I also do. Uh, notice he said, a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. The idea of the way the open and closed doors works today, uh, that's unscriptural, uh, like I said, when, when the Lord has opened the door, that, that means that something favorable has happened, that it'll be easy to go. When, when doors opened for Paul, it wasn't easy. Are you, are you following me? He didn't judge things on the, on the basis of whether or not it was easy or, or convenient or whether there was opposition or not opposition. When the Lord made something available, he, he, took it, he, he took advantage because we should obviously take advantage when the Lord opens up an opportunity for us to minister. You know, if, if I'm out someplace and uh, I walk into a situation that just presents itself for me to witness, I don't need the Lord to lead me. If I, if I walk in, in, into, a, into a, a restaurant or something and grab my you know, little fast food thing and I sit down at a table and over next to me there's a guy sitting there with an open Bible and he's scratching his head and mumbling. He said, I just wish somebody would help me. And I said, what, what's the problem? And he said, well, I'm, I'm wanting to find God. And I'm, and I'm here at the third chapter of John. I'm at verse 16 and I, I just don't really know what it means. I don't need the Lord to lead me. I know exactly what to do. Isn't that right? As a matter of fact, the Lord's going to have to do something substantial to lead me not to minister to him. I'm not seeking God on this. That's, that's an opportunity, but it's not, I'm, not, I'm not letting it direct my life. You follow me? Uh, go with me over to Acts. Oh, oh, let's look at one more so we'll have all the references. Go to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. In verse number eight. Verse seven says, And to the church of the angel, or to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See how I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. So we see that God is one who opens and closes doors. I don't want anybody to get the sense that, that that's not true. It is true, but that is not how he leads us. He makes things available to us 
and he causes things to, to not be available, but that's not how he leads. He leads by his spirit. Let me give you a, 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 a case in point. Go with me to the book of Acts, and let's go to, we're going to read real quickly through a lot of, of passages here just so that you'll get the flow of something. Let's start at the 13th chapter of the book of Acts. If you'll put that uh, picture up from my computer. I don't know if you can, how, how well can you make out these names? Can, some, can somebody tell me, can you read these names? No? All right. Uh, the church in Antioch where Paul started his ministry was, was Antioch in Syria. There's another Antioch in Pisidia. That's over in Galatia. That's, that's where he went to minister. Antioch in Syria was where he began his ministry. And uh, in, in the 13th chapter, there was a church at Antioch. There were certain prophets, and they, he names them. And uh, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Ghost, they went down to Seleucia. Okay, there, this is, uh, the blue line is the first, uh, his first missionary journey, and we'll read about it, and then we'll come back and read about the second missionary journey. So he takes his tack, he goes from Antioch down to Seleucia, and uh, from there they sailed to Cyprus, you see the island there, and they, ride at, uh, they arrived in Samalus, or Salamis, they preached the word of the Lord to the synagogues of the Jews and had John as their assistant. Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer. We'll skip all of that. You remember that story. Uh, now, verse 13 says, when Paul and, and his party set sail from Pamphus, right here, Paphos, Paphos, I guess, uh, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, right there. Uh, Pamphylia in, in, in uh, uh they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. When they had departed from Perga, they went to the synagogue of the Sabbath on the Sabbath and sat down to read. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation of the people, say on. And Paul stood up and motioned with his hand, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of, our, of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted, exalted the people, not exhausted the people, exalted the people, when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with an uplifted arm he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years, we won't read the whole sermon. Uh, Let's skip down to the end of the sermon. <clears throat> Verse 42, so when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. But when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and, and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear, uh, actually, this is in Antioch. We've moved on to Antioch. I, I missed something. They're in Antioch now, which is right there. Uh, verse 45 says, And when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming, and they opposed the things spoken by Paul. And the Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, If it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you... 
reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. So God appoints certain people to, to eternal life and other people he doesn't appoint to eternal life. Well, let's see. The word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the regions. Then the Jews stirred up the devout uh, and prominent women and the chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from the, their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now they're in Iconium. Iconium. They've traveled down from, from Antioch and Pisidia to Iconium. And uh, now it happened at Iconium that they went both together to the synagogue of the Jews and, both, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part sided with the uh, apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews, with their rulers to abuse and stone them they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe cities of Lyconia and the surrounding region and there they were preaching the gospel so now they're in Lystra and Derbe and at Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. The man heard Paul preaching. And uh, Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright in your feet. And he leaped and walked. Uh, and so uh, he goes on and, and, and uh, you see him ministering there in Lystra and in Derby. Now, it says in verse 19, then the Jews from Antioch, and Icodium came there. And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Now, isn't it interesting that he was, he was obviously not being led by convenience? Because you could see that everywhere he went, he had some acceptance and he had some excess, success, but he also had a lot of opposition. Well, he didn't judge things based on his opposition. In fact, he was stoned in Derby, dragged out of the city, assumed to be dead, left for dead outside of town. He, he is prayed for by his uh, company that's with him. God supernaturally raised him up. You know, a closed door, an open door would dictate don't go back to Derby. You were just beaten to death, dragged out of town, left for dead, you know, find another way home. But he's obviously not led by open doors, closed doors. He's led by the Spirit of God. So he returns to Derby, and uh, let me see where I'm at. Does anybody know where I left off? 20. Uh, and when they had preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples in Derby, where he was just beaten, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. They're back down in, in this area. And uh, now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to 
uh, Ataliah, and from there they sailed to Antioch, right here, from uh, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now, when they had come, uh, had come and gathered the church together, that is in Antioch, they reported all that, the, that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, Gentiles, so they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Now, in Antioch, certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Saul, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other men should go up to Jerusalem. Now, when the Bible talks about going up to Jerusalem, that's not a geographical location. Whether you're at north or south, anywhere you were, if you went to Jerusalem, you're going up to Jerusalem. And if you're in Jerusalem, anywhere you go, you're going down. That's just, it's referring Jerusalem is always referred to up. So uh, they went up to Jerusalem. It was actually south of there. Uh, to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia, Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy uh, to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, I think that's off the screen, but that's okay. When they'd come to Jerusalem, uh, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders and they reported all things that God had done with them. Then some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them, the, the Gentiles, and command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's referring to his trip to Cornelius' household. So God who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many beatings they had, how much trouble they had, how many times people rioted against them. No, they listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the people. And after they had become silent, James answered saying, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree just as it is written. After this, I'll return. We build the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down and I will rebuild its ruins and raise it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore I judge that we should not trouble these from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch, that's Antioch in Syria, with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and with Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, and so they give this greeting, you know, and we won't go that, and won't read all of that. Verse 30 says, so when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and then when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas themselves also prophets uh, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words and after they had stayed there for a time they were sent back with 
greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Uh, And now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they departed from one another. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Then he came to, to Derbe and Lystra. So then on his second journey, he goes from Jerusalem. We just talked about all of the time spent in Antioch. So he takes, this is where he teamed up with Silas. They go up through this route, assumed in this direction, uh, and they end up in Derba, Derby, and Lystra. And, and excuse me, in Lystra and Iconium. Uh, Paul wanted, let's see, where am I at? Yeah, no, I'm in 16. He came to Derby and Lystra. Then, behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by all the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. That's where I got messed up. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. He took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went throughout the cities or through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. I read all of that to get here. And this is a good history lesson. Verse six, now when they had gone through Phrygia, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. So they leave here. Can you bring this map now down? Can you rotate so we can see the, the, yeah. Can you enlarge this area? Or is that possible? Yeah. So they had gone through the area, what did it say? Of uh, Phrygia and Galatia. Uh, They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word of God in Asia. Now this generally right here is considered Asia at that time. Uh, we would call it this whole area Asia Minor. But this time was the area called Asia. This area up here is called uh, Mygia. And it says, um, uh, or Mysia. They were forbidden of the Holy Spirit to preach the word of God in Asia. Now, isn't that something that the Holy Spirit would forbid them to preach the word of God in Asia? Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But when you get specific direction as a minister, like I said, you don't have to pray whether or not you should preach the word of God. You know you're called to preach. And if he opens a door, what are you going to do? You're going to preach. Isn't that right? You're not being led by the open door. You've been led of God to preach the gospel. But if he wants to stop you, he doesn't send a train wreck, a car accident, or a, 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 a black raven or something to fly into your window. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will talk to you. Now it doesn't say how that came to pass. I don't know if it was an inward witness, an inward voice, or the Holy Spirit spoke in that authoritative voice. But my point is, it was the leading of the Spirit, not circumstances. Uh, because circumstances would dictate, go on over into Asia. They were right next door to it. But they were forbidden 
by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after, and after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, which is uh, this area up in here is Bithynia. They, this is where they were heading. They couldn't go this way, so they said, well, let's go north. North. So they go up into this area, and they're intending to go up in, in here, but the Spirit did not permit them. Again, they're led by the Spirit, not circumstances. There's nothing about circumstances that dictated where they went. So it says, so passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. They wanted to stay as far away from Asia as they could because they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach in this area. Now later on his way back, Paul stopped over in Ephesus, which was in Asia. He preached in the synagogue one day and left town apparently the next day. He was just there briefly, uh, but he didn't go into the interior of Asia. So he goes to Troas, and uh, so passing by My, uh, Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia stood in this vision pleading with him, saying, can't come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after they had seen the vision, after he had seen the vision, immediately we saw, Luke is the writer of, of the gospel, uh, of, of the book of Acts, and so he includes himself. He was there when this took place. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Again, they concluded that they were supposed to preach the gospel in Macedonia because they got a vision. Paul received a vision from the Spirit of God. Now, that's also a spiritual way God leads. I don't spend a lot of time talking about visions because we aren't promised visions. Romans says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God and that the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit. We're promised that. We're promised to be led by the Spirit. That's the number one way, the fundamental way, the primary the way, the most basic and consistent and usual way the Holy Spirit will lead is by the inward witness. He might lead by a vision or he might not. But we should never pray for visions because if you, if you start asking God for visions, first of all, because you have no right to ask for a vision because he didn't promise you one, you automatically open yourself up to uh, satanic deceptions because the devil is a spiritual power. He can give visions as well. And so you don't want to be asking for visions. But if the Lord chooses to give you one, it will bear witness with you and the other people involved in the ministry. And immediately he knew what the, and they knew what the vision meant. Sometimes people will have a dream or something, you know, and want somebody to interpret their dream. They don't know what it means. Listen, if you have a dream and you don't know what it means, just forget it. You ate too much. That's all that means. You ate too much. It doesn't, if the Spirit of God gives you a dream or a vision, don't you know as soon as you awaken from the dream or vision, you would know what the Spirit of God's saying? If you don't, forget it. Amen? So they immediately concluded that, the, that the God was uh, uh, directing them to preach the gospel. And so therefore, sailing from Troas, we're in a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia. Can we go over here? Will that move over that way? Is that as far as that goes? Yeah, it is, because that's 
all of his journey. So they made it to uh, Neapolis and then Philippi. Does anybody remember what happened in Philippi? Does anybody remember what happened in Philippi? Out, what out, outstanding happened in Philippi? There was a little demon-possessed girl there, remember, that kept following them, saying these are the, the uh, uh, preachers of the Most High God, servants of the Most High God, and he cast the devil out of that little demon girl. First of all, they met with some women by the, by the river, remember that? There were some women there who came to a place of prayer. The Bible says God opened their hearts to give attention to the, to the gospel. You can read it right here in this chapter. And, uh, and then the, the, they... Uh, the demon-possessed girl was following them. They cast the devil out of the demon-possessed girl. They got thrown in prison. They were beaten, thrown in prison. Their feet and their ankles were put in stocks. They're in prison. Talk about a, a closed door message. Talk about God closing the door to preach the, God, the gospel in Philippi. Again, all I'm saying is this illustrates that God does open opportunities to us. That's true that he does for the preaching of the gospel. That's the only way that expression is used in the New Testament. But it was never as a means of leading us about whether you should get this job. Well, you know, I've been praying about uh, maybe leaving my job and taking another job. And then suddenly, out of the clear blue, there was this new job that came available and it's my qualifications and it was something that, I, it's something that I'd be just so good. I think the Lord must be talking to me. People who follow that kind of, of reasoning are continually in turmoil. You might once in, in a while trip up and accidentally, coincidentally, you know, stumble into something that's good for you. But I'm telling you, if you're, uh, if you're waiting for God to, to open up things for you and to close other things for you so that you will know where to go and what to do in life, you will be continually misled. You'll be continually out of the will of God. Well, amen. That was our little uh, geography lesson tonight. Did you love my graphics that I put together? That was just so wonderful. Praise God. I made that map just for you. Hallelujah. Now, let me talk in the time that I have left. I've got about 10 minutes. Uh, let me talk about some of the things that can, can affect how well you discern God's leading for your life. There are some things that can affect how well you discerned this leading, this inward witness, being led of the Spirit. Number one, your overall consecration to God's will and plan for your life will greatly impact your ability to discern his leading. In other words, if you are not really very consecrated to God's plan for your life, you will not easily discern his leading because you won't be looking for it. Amen. Remember in James, we, I referred to the scripture I think last week or the week before. James said, do not say, you know, tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and stay there for a year and buy and sell. He said, do not say that because you don't know what tomorrow will hold. He said, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will go to such and such a city. So in your business and in your ordinary lives, let me ask you this. How often do you actually, honestly, on purpose, for no other reason but for consecration, how often do you actually go before the Lord and say, Now, Lord, 
What is your, your perfect will for my life? Am I doing what ple- is, is pleasing to you? A- am, am I following in your footsteps? Are you receiving glory from my life? Or am I just going through the motions? Am I just, am I just doing what I'm doing because I've always done it and people expect it and it's just convenient and easy? How often do you actually ask yourself the question in God's presence, you know, is, am I okay, Lord? Are you happy with me? So what I'm saying is a life of consecration, an ongoing, uh, consistent, uh, uh, up-to-date heart of consecration. If you are genuinely interested in pleasing God and he knows your heart, that is the biggest and the first uh, step forward in being able to discern God's will because you've already got a heart for his will. I'm telling you, I'm amazed how many people, I'm talking about Christians, just go through life and they, and, and they seem to never really uh, uh, have a heart for pleasing God in, in any way other than just staying saved. Just staying out of the bars and, and just kind of, you know, living right. But as far as actually having a desire to, to have a greater awareness of God and a closer walk with him. If you, if you have that heart where you're always drawing closer to the Lord, it'll go a great way. So that's the first thing. The second thing is your priorities. We're talking about things that will affect how well you discern God's leading for your life. Your priorities. There are people who will move away from a good church to pursue more money. We've had people that, that have left this church for no other reason that they, than they got a job offer somewhere else, which was, and it was more money. And so they automatically assumed this was God's provision. This is a big open door with bright re- neon lights around it. More money. Yeah, but what is it associated with that job? Is there a good church there? Will, will, will you be nurtured there spiritually like you are? I'm not saying that we're the best church in the world, but we're probably the, maybe the second or third best, you know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know. That's not my point. I, 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 think, I think anybody who has a heart to grow and, and, and move forward with God can be well cared for and nurtured in this church. And so to go someplace else where you're not possibly going to get fed, many times people will choose to, to move across the country, across the state, and they won't even check into what kind of churches. Or else they'll check for the, for the basis of, of proving that there's a good church there, but they haven't prayed about it. People will uproot their children. I've seen it time and time again. Children who are flourishing in this setting, in the ministry that's being provided for them, whether they're little children or teenagers, they're flourishing. God is is ministering. They'll uproot their children and go to another place. And I've seen it over and over again. Sometimes those kids never connect again anywhere. So priorities. Amen. People who put earthly ambition above, above what's best for them spiritually, for their families and so forth, uh, never seem to really have a sense of God's leading in their life. 
People who allow their fleshly desires and natural thinking to dominate their lives will usually end up convincing themselves that their fleshly desires are God's direction. We'll say that again. People who allow their fleshly desires and natural thinking to dominate their lives will usually end up convincing themselves that their fleshly desires are God's direction. They create their own direction from God, they suppose, because of the things that they are following after. People who get all worked up emotionally about something will convince themselves that it is God's will. Whether it's a romance, whether it's uh, a business opportunity, whether it's ministry, or whether it's you know, falling out with somebody and they're all worked up in strife, whatever it might be. People who get all worked up emotionally about something usually end up convincing themselves that it's God dealing with them. Again, this all goes back to priorities. So first one was your overall consecration to God's will for your life. Number two, your priorities. Number three, continually feeding on God's word. If you will continue to feed on the word of God, it'll correct the problem in in 2.3, which is people's fleshly desires and natural thinking dominating their lives. Why do natural fleshly desires and natural thinking dominate people? Because they don't read their Bible. Amen. You only read your Bible when you come to church. You're not feeding on God's word. Boy, that was strong. Thank you for all of that. Try to calm down. I know you're excited. If you only read your Bible when you come to church, you're not feeding on God's word. You're not feeding your spirit. You will not be able to discern the difference between the leading of the Lord and your fleshly desires. Because if you're not feeding on God's word, you are feeding on something else. If you're not feeding on spiritual things, these these spiritual things, you're feeding on the flesh. Amen. Number four, staying full of the Spirit. Staying full of the Spirit. Jesus was full of the Spirit and he was led. Notice he wasn't led to go to the, to the, uh, to the uh, Jerusalem uh, four seasons. He was led to go out into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil That's another big closed door. Most people would say that couldn't be God. Staying full of the spirit, feeding on the word, having your priorities right, being consecrated to God all adds up to to being able to discern his leading. Number five, praying in the spirit. See, when you're praying in the spirit, you're speaking divine mysteries. And this helps quieten your mind and your body. I said praying in the spirit helps to quiet your mind and your fleshly temperament. The more you pray in the spirit, the less control your fleshly mind and your fleshly temperament and your your basic uh, carnal thinking and natural thinking and and the wisdom of this age and the things of this world that is so, uh, uh, it presses in on us from every direction. 
feeding on the word of God, staying consecrated, keeping your priorities right, uh, 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 staying full of the spirit by praying in the Holy Ghost, then praying in the spirit not only is a means of staying full, it's a means of speaking divine secrets. Amen. And then number uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. I'm, I have these listed A, B, C. Uh, number six, listening to wise counsel from spiritual people. Listening to wise counsel from spiritual people, I said at 845. And so that's all I have to say tonight. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. We'll, we'll get more next time. Evangel will give me another chance at this. She'll give, she says she'll give me one more week. Hallelujah. I tell you, God is, is in the day in which we live. I'm going to borrow time, I know. In the day in which we live, it is so critical. If you, if you don't think it's been critical before, it has been. But if you don't think it's been critical before, please understand it is absolutely critical in these days that we learn to discern the leading of the Lord and follow his leading in our life. Amen? Hallelujah. It can mean the difference between life and death. It can mean the difference between uh, uh, ending up where God wants you to be as opposed to just doing just something just to, you know, keep exchanging oxygen in and out of your lungs for the rest of your life. God has more for you than that. Amen? God bless you. We'll see you. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.